welcome back to the Informatics Cafe. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Nightardi, and uh, here with me in the cafe today, I'm so pleased and proud to have Dr. James Walden. He's a professor in computer science here at NKU at the College of Informatics. He's also the director of the University's Center for Information Security. Uh, Dr. Walden, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. Uh, there's always exciting events happening in cybersecurity. <laughs> no, no doubt. And so it's it's great to have you finally join us in the cafe. Today, what we're going to be talking about specifically is what's been going on in the world of election security. And that's just one of many areas that cybersecurity is impacting the world at large. Um, but so let's just let's just dive right in. Why is cybersecurity so important for elections? Well, mainly because we, we did shift to uh, going to electronic voting machines primarily after the problems in the Florida election in 2000. Congress passed the Help America Vote Act and provided funds for states to buy uh, electronic voting machines. Unfortunately, it's one-time funding and there were no cybersecurity standards uh, made for the voting machines at the time. So, so I'm going to I'm going to jump in and ask several questions on this topic because I think that that what we can help is is kind of identify what we're what the major problem is and then also maybe get rid of maybe some 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 bad information that's out there. But when I think about election security, um, there's a couple of things that I think about: is someone going in and changing people's votes, or someone going in and and messing with the overall process. Is that, is that both what, what we're concerned about here? Uh, right, it's both. And we need to look at the entire process from people uh, registering to vote. So we need to protect the registration databases. That data gets transferred to electronic poll book systems, which are at the individual polling stations. Uh, then you have the actual electronic voting machines there. And then the data gets passed to electronic tabulation machines after that point and any of those points in the voting process can be interfered with and so if i'm hearing you right that means that there needs to be security at each of those steps right there's got to be security at every step uh, hackers always go after the weakest link because it's easier cheaper takes less time um, as defenders we have to secure every point in that process to have secure elections so are you doing any, are you or the center doing any specific work in this area right now? Um, I recently wrote a book chapter in a book about Kentucky elections. I co-authored it with uh, Professor Shauna Riley from the political science department at, at NKU. Her uh, research focuses on, on balloting and such. So we collaborated to look at the past and present of Kentucky elections. Okay, so let's well tell us a little bit about that, if you if you will tell us about that chapter. Yeah, so um, I guess the there's good news um, right now. As of uh, last year, Kentucky passed a new law fixing a lot of our pre-existing problems. But one of the biggest problems Kentucky had prior to that law was that we had um, so-called direct recording electronic machines, which record your votes on a flash memory uh, stick, like a flash drive for those little cards that used to go into digital cameras. And it doesn't produce any humanly readable copy of that data. So you're completely at the mercy of whatever the software 
uh, does. And so researchers have demonstrated that software can be easily changed to show that you voted for who you intended to vote for, but can flip a certain percentage of votes to ensure that the target candidate wins the election. And there's no way to audit those. Um, and this new law in Kentucky requires a voter verifiable paper audit trail so that we have a final paper record that is the definitive record of how people voted as opposed to having a flash memory stick that just gives you a number like 117. Is that right or wrong? Um, those machines do have a recount function because they're legally required to, but all it does is read the number from the uh, flash memory and print it again. Right, right. So the, the, as I understand it, at the, very, at the very core of this, you know, we want to be able to have free and, and, and safe elections and fair elections, and we want to be able to instill confidence in the electorate that we're doing that. You know, right. not just from uh, international enemies, uh, protection from them, but also from, uh, you know, the, the crazies on each side of the political aisle that, that are conspiracy theorists that think the other side's trying to steal something. Um, is, is, are there any myths or is there anything out there in, in election security that, that, that you find needs to be corrected that maybe people are thinking that they shouldn't be thinking? Um, I think there are a lot of myths that uh, things like vote by mail are less secure than voting in person on an electronic machine. Uh, I used to live in Oregon, so I was pretty used to vote by mail uh, before it came up during COVID. Um, and really, as far as the process, you know, certainly compared to a, a voting machine without a paper trail, it's more secure because you can audit it and do a recount, whereas you just can't with the direct recording electronic machines. So in, in, when you were saying earlier then that there, that, you know, at each step of the process, um, we need to have a line of protection because I guess that at each step, that's where someone can get in and somehow mess with the, the system. Is that correct? Right. And, and so uh, one of the, the things that I'm thinking about as just a layman when it comes to all of this um, is if I'm going into the to to vote in a booth, and and I vote here in Kentucky, and I go and I press, you know, I'm voting for candidate one, and it you know confirms that that one of the ways that it can be is that somehow that changes my vote at that point to candidate, I guess two. Um, wouldn't right. somebody? So how would somebody even get in the system to do that? At that point. Okay. Yeah. So the good thing about voting machines is they're not directly connected to the internet. So, so nobody can go in on election day from home and uh, hack your voting machine over the internet. But they are what we call indirectly connected machines. Okay. So they have to get data from the outside. First, they, they need to get the ballot for that particular election. They need to know who the candidates are, what the ballot measures are, and all of that. But they also need to get security and functionality updates. And so states usually let third-party companies control that process. And those companies are careful to keep them indirectly connected. And that means the company puts a server on the internet to pick up the latest security updates from Microsoft, the voting machine software vendor, and so forth, and then takes that machine 
and puts it on a private network that isn't connected to the network, but puts all the voting machines on it so they can get the updates from that machine. Okay. But we have seen malicious software that can get through uh, indirect connections, most famously uh, the U.S. government Stuxnet software, which sabotaged Iran's nuclear refinement operations. Uh, the Iranians were smart enough not to be connected to the Internet, but somebody did take a flash drive from a computer that was connected to the Internet and was infected, took it inside the plant, and then it infected all the machines inside the plant. Um, so that's sort of the biggest, most dramatic instance, but it's certainly not the only time that happens. So, so under that scenario, if I go in there and it is, is from a security standpoint, is, is that type of infiltration or, you know, problem, is, is that the least of the concern then? The, the, the point where I'm voting, changing from one vote to the next actually at that machine, is that less of a problem than down the line, let's say? Um, it is one of the hardest points to affect at a national level for, for some reasons. You know, one, the machines are indirectly connected, different states have different policies. States like Kentucky have different voting machines by county, not, right. not just by state. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if you really wanted to flip a national election, you'd have to research carefully, you know, which states you want to affect, know which voting machines they use, know who contracts for them. Um, probably the biggest worry there are insiders, people who work for the service companies or people who work for the state. Um, and, and there was a, there have been a couple of cases in Colorado where people, county officials have taken voting records home. They've purged people from the voting rolls and such on their home PCs. Oh, wow. Uh, so, um, that, that admittedly is more on the registration system than the balloting side. Um, and in theory, there's supposed to be physical security for the uh, actual voting machines. But in practice, uh, people into election security uh, on election day, they, they share tweets like, here, I'm at, I'm at my election site. Here's my photo of all these unintended voting machines. Right, right. Yeah. That, that... Uh, so there's good procedures, but they aren't always followed. And unfortunately, election security isn't very well funded. Uh, there's not uh, really federal support for doing it beyond like the federal government gives you standards, but it won't help you implement those standards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that, that makes sense. That makes sense that, that, that the federal government will give standards, but not give money. <laughs> right. I think that's, but, it's a, but probably the most vulnerable part. The most attractive target are the registration systems. Okay. Okay. Tell us about because, that. Yeah. Yeah. So these are highly connected systems. So, you know, we have the motor uh, voter laws. So the DMV uh, has to be connected into the voter registration database. There's uh, third parties who help tell you who has moved between states. So you can move people who are no longer residents off the voter rolls and so forth. And because of all those connections, they're easier to attack than the voting machines. Mm -hmm. Also, there's only one of those databases per state, uh, as opposed to there being many thousands of voting machines in every state of hundreds of different types. So that's definitely the gold mine. Right. And, and so, of course, they have been attacked. Uh, we saw in 2018 that Russia attacked every state voter registration database. Two states register that they 
reported that there were successful compromises of their databases. They claim they that nothing was altered. Um, and the problem is, of course, it, it is does that mean nothing was changed, or does that mean you weren't able to detect right. that anything was changed? Right. And for the other 48 states, uh, you know, my, my question would be, is like, well, what measures did you have in place to detect compromises? So was it just two states that got compromised that had bad security, or did two states have good security so they could detect being compromised, and a lot of other states couldn't detect the fact? So, so given all of this conversation, uh, where would you say we are currently? I mean, if, if are we at... Uh, we we can have you know confidence in in our election security right now you know on a scale of one to one to ten one not no confidence ten being confidence where where would you say we are? It varies a lot between states, um, and, and there's actually a, a web website Ballotopedia, uh, which describes all the processes for each state, and I forget if it's Ballotopedia or another site, but they actually offered. Uh, security grades for different states. Uh, before the law passed in 2021, I think Kentucky was a D uh, out of a traditional A, A B, C, mm-hmm. sure. uh, D, F scale. Um, but after this recent law, that, that would really put Kentucky you know, back in the B plus or A range because it did require the voter verified paper trails and it started to move us to more modern audits. Um, unfortunately, it really is actually mathematically provably impossible to make a perfect voting machine that you can ensure is correct uh, as far as cyber attacks go. Um, so you have to have an auditing system after that. And that's why the paper trail is so important so that you can count the ballots without relying on the software that you may not be trustable. And, and you can either feed those ballots into a different piece of software. So you could have multiple pieces of software, you know, vote on it, or you could have humans count them. But the uh, important thing is that is you don't just have one piece of software that you rest all your trust on. And so there's a procedure called a risk limiting audit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically a, iterative statistical procedure where you take a sample of ballots, you count those, and you do a statistical hypothesis test, and it tells you whether the results of the election are correct or whether you can't tell with that amount of ballots. And so uh, if you can't tell, you take a larger sample and you repeat the process. In the worst case, you have to recount everything, but normally you just have to recount a fairly small percentage of ballots, and it will give you like a 99% assurance that uh, your results um, from the audit correspond to the results of the uh, software uh, report for the totals. Okay, that makes sense, because that's where I was going. The next thing I was going to say is that if we're going to have to be doing all of this auditing by by counting you know physical ballots, why not just go back to just straight physical ballots? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There actually is um, sort of a we're starting to see a transition in voting machines to the new ones being called ballot marking devices rather than voting machines, where they they don't even try to count them. All they do is produce ballots for another machine to count or a human to count. The nice thing about having computers in that role is that it helps make them accessible. So 
if you're blind, it's easy for the computer to read the ballot. Um, the computer can present the ballot in multiple different languages. I read that New York City has something like 100 different ballots for the many different languages spoken there. Wow. So they have to guess, you know, what's the right amount to print in each of these languages. And it's an expensive, complicated process that's easy to get wrong. And the ballot marking device basically solves that for you. Interesting. Very interesting. So who are the, the primary actors, bad actors in this area that are, that are really doing a lot of the work? Is, is it possible to point at, you know, nation states? Is, are they, I, I assume they're the ones that are, are the ones that are really promulgating a lot of the attacks. Right. Um, that's who we've seen in the past it, it is the um, attacks from nation states, predominantly Russia there. Um, and we have seen, I guess, smaller attacks from insiders uh, where, you know, you, you, we have had people purge people from the voter rolls when they weren't supposed to be purged and such. Um, and, and I would say that those are, are really the two main ones we should worry about in the f- future are the insiders and the uh, nation state level attackers. Um, to help with, with insiders, you really need to have a separate auditing function uh, so that you can track that the insiders are doing the right things mm-hmm. um, there. So give our listeners a, a sense of where you think we're, we're headed and we're going on this topic. Are we, are we moving in the right direction? You said, obviously, Kentucky now has, has gone from a, a D to a, what you would say maybe an A. Um, are, are we, do you get a sense that we're doing the right things as a nation or, or is there still a ways to go? Well, we have a ways to go, but we are moving in the right direction. Uh, back in 2004, the first presidential election after the Help America Vote Act, the majority of voting machines didn't produce paper trails. Uh, whereas in 2020, Um, a large majority, over three quarters of the states did produce paper trails. And we've started to see risk limiting audits start being adopted. I think only two states currently require them, but quite a few states, uh, including uh, Kentucky and I believe Ohio have pilot programs where they're doing it for a subset of elections in the state um, with a goal of, you know, if it works out well to using it everywhere. Very interesting. So <laughs> let me throw this out here and maybe we'll edit it completely out of the, the podcast. But but if 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 someone is doing a great job with with, uh, you know, uh, infiltrating these systems, I mean, would we ever really even know, like you were saying earlier, um, for the states that that say that that Russia tried to get in, but, you know, they say didn't get in, maybe they didn't have the right systems to detect that they did. I mean, is it possible that that, you know, we could be completely wrong on this and just never know? Um, unfortunately, it is always possible in security. Um, on the registration side, the Caltech MIT Voting Project has produced software that's designed to monitor the registration databases, and uh, they piloted it in California. So hopefully we'll get more help there. Um, as a personal uh, note, I, I actually got removed from the voting rolls once, despite voting in the previous um, 
guess it wasn't the previous election, but but at the two-year election cycle before that, which according to the state I lived at the time, shouldn't have been done. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and we hear that with every voting purge, um, that people who weren't supposed to be purged always seem to get purged. And so that's something we do need to work on is to ensure that people who are correctly registered stay registered. And one way to help that would be to make that more public. One thing I like in Kentucky is I can go check whether I'm registered or not before the end of the registration end date. And having had that happen to me once, uh, I always check that every year. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, on the voting machine side, there is a lot of room for invisible malicious software messing with things. But as long as you have a ground truth in the paper trail, you can rely on that as opposed to trying to believe what the software tells you. Although there is one human factor there. If the person doesn't check the printed paper ballot and verify that it says what what it should say, uh, then yeah, they just let it slip by and there's no uh, check that you actually voted the way you wanted to if you don't do it yourself. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. For, for students that are interested in, in cybersecurity, uh, what programs do we have here at the school that they can get involved in or degree programs or anything like that? Right. So we have a Bachelor of Science in Cybersecurity, and we also have an online Master of Science in Cybersecurity that's designed for people who are looking to change careers and get into cybersecurity. Fantastic. Um, and... Um, at the undergraduate level, we, we also have two minors, information security and computer forensics. And um, we have a cybersecurity track in the Bachelor of uh, Information Technology degree program, too. And this, I, I thought I, I keep on reading places that, that the demand for workers in this area is not being met worldwide and that we're on track to that the gap is going to increase. Have you seen that? It's, is that accurate? Uh, yes, uh, I have see, seen that. There's a um, map the U.S. government maintains at cyberseek.org, and you can go check on Kentucky or the greater Cincinnati area, and you'll see how many thousands of unfilled cyber positions are currently out there. Did it, so is that an area that, you know, for our listeners, is that an area that will be a good career maybe in terms of pay moving forward then because of the the demand? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a well-compensated field, and yeah, basically, uh, you know, as you said, the unemployment rate is essentially ne- negative. <laughs> and uh, especially if you're um, an American citizen who can get a security clearance, um, that opens, you know, just a world of job opportunities, of course, in D.C., but also, you know, local companies like GE and such are looking for that as well. That's great information. Well, Dr. Walden, I really appreciate your time and, and meeting with us today in the, in the cafe and going over all this. I, we definitely want you back to talk about other uh, events going on in the world and maybe the, the increase in attacks all over the world in, in terms of uh, uh, trying to defend against them uh, by both nation states and also by criminal organizations. It'd be great to have you on to talk about the trends in that area as well. I'm going to give you the last uh, thought here before we we wrap up anything that that you want to add that maybe we didn't talk about as it relates to election security that our listeners should know about. I guess the last thing I would say is that uh, I would really like states to be funded well for providing for election cyber security. 
some states are, some states aren't. Um, but we, we really need an every place. Fantastic. No, I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Dr. Walden. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks you for having me. Informatics Cafe is a production of Informatics Plus, the outreach arm of Northern Kentucky University's College of Informatics. Hosted by Mike Nitardi, produced by Chris Brewer, music and engineering by Aaron Zlatkin. Recorded at the Informatics Audio Studio in Griffin Hall.